morning, everybody. If you are in the treehouse, kindergarten through fifth grade, you can line up in the back with Miss Audrey. Treehouse is dismissed. Well, um, as I look across the crowd and be reminded of the challenging season that we're in right now and text messages of people not feeling well, sick, falling ill, testing positive, um, we put a message out just via social media like, hey, if you're sick at all, just stay home. Like That's kind of our approach at this point. That's all we're saying. If you're sick, stay home. If you're not feeling great, stay home. Um, but we are live streaming, so if you're joining us online, um, we want to try to stay as connected as we can in this time. But um, how many of you were not here last week? Raise your hand. Okay, enough of you for me to do just a brief uh, kind of summary of what we started last week. So we're in this new series, The Letters of John, and we're calling it Brilliance in the Basics. Now, if you weren't here, I'll just open it up to everybody. Whether you're here or not last week, where does this terminology, Brilliance in the Basics, come from? A person. Jim Mattis, Mad Dog Mattis, General Mattis, former Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis, however you want to label him, um, this is this is his language. Um, I had the privilege of having him as my commanding general, uh, First Marine Division, back in 2003 when we went to Iraq. I got a letter from him, signed by him. Like it was it was pretty interesting times. But his whole idea is that if we're going to be efficient in anything we do, particularly war fighting, we have got to be solid in the basics that there's no question asked like what we do is absolutely critical basics the basics the basics fundamentals whatever you want to call it and so as me and mike were talking about how we want to approach this next series first john is a letter that's filled with kind of the 101, if you will, the basics of Christianity and faith. And so um, a couple of those themes that we talked about last week, and if you weren't here last week, you can go back and sort of listen to what we, what we came up with. But um, major themes of light and love. God is light, God is love. Those are kind of the two main themes, um, the first half, the second half. Um, he spends a lot of time talking about the assurance of salvation. He goes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So these people are being, you know, uh, bombarded with all kinds of challenging information that that say yes, Jesus, but also this. And John's like, no, <laughs> that's not right. This is the truth, and you know what the truth is. So hold fast to it. Um, I think the biggest takeaway for me from last week is that Mike tied in, which was also sort of a something borrowed from um, General Mattis, is. That we shouldn't dabble in Christianity. Like whatever you give yourself to, if you're if you are in the military, if you're a homemaker, if you are in the workforce, if you're a student, whatever it is that you're giving yourself to, you shouldn't dabble in it. Like don't just kind of mess around and see what you can come up with. Commit, give everything you have to do well in it. And so here, we don't want to dabble in Christianity, right? If we're here, we're all in. If we're all in, though, we got to know what we believe, what our firm foundation is. And so kind of that's a, an overview of, of sort of where we're going in this series. And if you didn't um, 
get to participate in the video last week where we showed the uh, Bible Project overview of the letters of John. It's really helpful if you go onto YouTube or um, any of the uh, social media platforms, look up Bible Project, and they'll show you about a nine-minute video of what the major themes are and how it's all broken down. It's helpful uh, when you go to read any book of the Bible. Um, so this week, we're going to continue in, in 1 John. I'm going to call the message, um, Walk in the Light as God has Defined It. We're called to walk in the light, but we're called to walk in the light as God defines it. So let's look at the Word of God together. You can open your Bibles, your Bible app, or look on the screen. We're in 1 John we're still in the very first chapter, and we're going to do um, some reading from verses 5 through 10. So when you're in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, give me an amen. amen. That's enough of you. Here we go. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make a liar of him, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that that you know exactly what we need, when we need it, and how we can best employ these principles and truths in our lives in a way that will bring you glory, make your name great and known throughout the world. And God, it's for our good, for our transformation, and for our assurance to know who we are and whose we are. So I pray for, God, just a clarity this morning. I pray for... Just a, a desire for each of us to want to be people after your own heart. Help us to pursue you. To not dabble in any of this, Lord God, but to go all in. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of the things I talked about last week, Mike brought me up here and just wanted to give my two cents. I said that there's some challenging things that we're going to read in First John. And as we just read those couple of verses, you might have seen some challenging things. It's like, hey, if you say you're this and you're not... You're a liar. <laughs> the truth ain't in you, pal. Like, this is some straight-up hard things that John is talking about here. So there may be some questions that you have. There's a number. Text them to that number. Um, Sam and I will come up here at the, at the end and answer those questions. But he starts out with this sort of very strong, very bold statement that God is what? God is... He is good, but what does he say in verse John? God is light. God is light. Now, is John saying that God is like a, a physical manifestation of light? Like he is literally light? No. no, not really. Especially when you consider what he says right after that. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So this is a metaphor that John is using um, to lay down a very foundational principle for us as believers. Now, that's not to say that the idea of light isn't important or helpful because knowing that John is multifaceted in how he approaches the word, we need to look just a little bit about light. If he's saying that he is light, what is light and why is it so powerful? Think specifically about sunlight. What are some of the functions of sunlight? 
gives life, it gives energy. What else? Warmth, vitamin D. What does vitamin D help to produce in our bodies? Antibodies? Health? Serotonin, which helps us what? Be happy. So sunlight actually brings happiness and joy. Like there's so many things. Now that last one, sunlight bringing happiness and joy, it might not really hit home to us here in Southern California. We have a very incredible privilege in San Diego County to see the sun almost more than 300 days out of the year. Like more than just a little sliver of sun. Like mostly sunny 300 days out of the year. Amen. And we pay for that kind of weather here. But think about it. When other places, other locations in the world have less than 100 days of sunlight per year. That's crazy, right? Then consider places like Iceland in the wintertime. Right? They're so far in the northern hemisphere, close to the North Pole, that in the winter months... They average, anybody want to give me a guess, how many hours of sunlight a day in the winter months Iceland gets, average? Four. And you guys, Googling this stuff or what? It's four and a half, I'll have you know. Four and a half hours of sunlight a day. Can you imagine living for four months straight with 20 hours of darkness in your day? I mean, that's rough. It's not just inconvenient, it messes with people. It really does, because as we said, the body needs light to function. Prolonged periods of darkness, research has shown, lead to all kinds of bad things. Mood disorders, depression, actually certain kinds of cancer, I mean, bone weakness, these things that we don't think about. And so they develop these things in places like this called happy lights that mimic the sunlight because it's so essential to help offset some of those challenges. So light is is important. We know that. But we also said, um, somebody, the first thing that I asked was life. Light brings life. So plants, I'm sure if you remember from fifth grade science or whatever, right? they need sunlight in order to grow and reproduce. Without sunlight, they cannot do that. It's necessary for their survival. We do that, right? Good. But I recently read about a certain kind of plant that has lost all of its chlorophyll, the ability to actually turn light into energy. And what, is it, what it does is its roots go out and attach to other roots of plants that are able to turn sunlight into energy. They're so desperate for life that they seek out other ways in which to gain that. I thought that was sort of fascinating. But light, if we're not already convinced, is a necessary part of life, yes, but it also impacts the quality of our life. So to say that God is light is to make the point that he is necessary for the kind of life that he's called us to live, he's designed us to have. So there's a couple of real-world examples of, of, of parallels to why God being light matters to us. It's important. But John is saying something much bigger than all of this. That was just sort of a teaser to bring you into the conversation. If God is light and in him is no darkness at all, then what is John saying? Pure, I like that word, that's good. If light equals life, like we've determined that it does, then the foundational principle that we have to gain here, the, the thing that, the takeaway, if you will, each week we want to try to highlight some foundational principle. 
This is what it is. As creator, God's authority permeates all of life, and he determines spiritual light and darkness. In other words, God is entitled to set the standards for human life and judge every person according to that standard. I want to read to you one scholar who puts it very clearly in my little book here. If I can find it. The primary implication of John's introductory statement about God is that if God is light, then God himself, by virtue of his being and character, defines the moral standard of human life. Many voices compete for the prerogative of defining morality in our times, and it was no less so in the first century. Philosophers, pagan priests, priestesses, rulers who legislated, as well as other individuals who felt entitled to do so, made claims about moral truth just as many people today wish to assume that prerogative. But it is only God himself, the creator and sustainer of all life, who can authoritatively define moral truth. To know God is therefore to know truth about how to live in the way that he intends. So this statement, as you can see, it's not just like this casual, oh, God is light. This is a major theological point that John is making, and it's something that we have got to understand. We need to know that our role as God's special creation is to shape our lives around him, to walk in the light as he has defined it. If we can't understand that fundamental truth, we can't really begin to walk in genuine fellowship with him because we don't know the true and authentic God. It's just some collaboration of thoughts in our mind. Now, without knowing the true nature of God, we can't love and accept him. So, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He is the giver of life, the sustainer of the universe, and the arbiter of truth. He's the one that sets truth, not the other way around. We bend our lives to him. Amen, Lee. John offers then, following this, a series of Statements over the next couple of verses that are going to put this truth into practice. So he's going to make sure that that Christians, believers, remember he's writing to people who are believers, that we are called to a God-ordained standard of living. That he alone determines and dictates. And that there will always be evidence in our lives whether or not we're walking in the light or in the darkness. Always, always evidence of where we find ourselves. So first we have verse 6. Let's look at verse 6 up there. <clears throat> if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So I think this is maybe one of the most devastating, damaging aspects um, to the Christian faith. And that is people who claim Christ and do not have a lifestyle that matches it. Have you run into these people? Right? They say they're Christians and they're just they're living for themselves. They are the furthest thing from uh, honoring the Lord and what they're doing. And they're usually the loudest ones, I find. <laughs> and all they're doing is serving to damage the reputation of Christ. I read from you earlier, Professor Jobes, but I want to read another statement that just puts it very succinctly. 
A profession of faith in Christ requires a lifestyle that matches it. Period. A profession of faith in Christ requires a life that matches it. Now you've heard us say again and again, hopefully this is not news to you, perfection is not the evidence of Christian faith. We're not after perfection. It's a growing pattern of obedience. That's what we're after, a growing pattern of obedience. Because we're going to mess it up, right? Some of us messed up on, on the way here, on the way to church. We're going to fall short, my friends. And we're going to talk about that today, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more next week. But John's point here is that you cannot claim this faith and have zero evidence in your life of it. Yes? We're clear on that? Perfect. Then he, I think he offers a reality and an expression of that faith. If we're walking in the light, that is God's moral standard, then and only then can we have real true fellowship with him. But notice what kind of fellowship John highlights. Put up verse 7 if you would, Lee. But if we walk in the light, if we do that, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Okay, that's that's interesting. John, I thought you'd say that we have fellowship with the Father. So what is what is John's point here? Remember, he's talking to a group of believers. He's making the correlation that we, we can't take lightly. He's saying that fellowship, the fellowship that we enjoy with God is intimately tied with the fellowship that we have with one another. That's what John's saying here. What we experience with God, we get to experience with each other. And they're they're, you can't pull them apart. That's why there's no Lone Ranger Christianity or people out here like, oh, I, I don't need these people. No, we need each other. We need fellowship. I'd even argue that the fellowship we have with God as we're walking in the light is most fully expressed in the fellowship that we have with each other. That's why God, John can say things like this in John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are able to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That expression of our love and our fellowship together is a powerful, powerful testimony to who God is and what he does. That's, that's the significance of what he says is if you walk in the light as I am in the light, you're going to have fellowship with each other, and that is a tool for you to use to proclaim the hope and life that I have, or that you have in me. <clears throat> so another way of having love for one another is through our fellowship. That's why I put so much emphasis on doing life together, life groups, small groups, small group discipleship. That's essential in our growing in our faith. My friends, we have an opportunity as a church, we have an opportunity to be a very clear picture of God's love and fellowship to the world around us. But don't lose sight of how verse 7 concludes. If you go back to verse 7, Lee, please. Maybe one more. There we go. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So yeah, if you walk in the light as I'm in the light, you'll have fellowship with me, we'll have fellowship with each other, and 
The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Here's the crux of it all. The means by which we can experience all of this is that the blood of Christ was poured out for you and for me, for the world, as we'll learn next week. And it's the forgiveness for how many sins? All sins. Does that include past sins? Present sins? Future sins? All sins? Okay. All under the blood of Jesus. So, walking in the light, then, is repenting and believing in Jesus. That's what walking in the light is. It's an acknowledgement that God is truth, and we have broken his law, and because of that, we've got punishment, right punishment, coming to us because of our rebellion and sin. And then the two greatest words in the Bible, but God, right? He saw us in that state. Good news portion of the gospel is that he doesn't leave us there. He sent his son Jesus to die in our place. That the sins would be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. He died in our place. Took our punishment in spite of our rebellion against him. That's, that's beautiful news for us. The blood of Jesus, which is sinless and perfect, which makes it the only acceptable, true satisfaction of God's wrath and forgiveness, that we believe in this truth, we are walking in the light. Be confident of that. Because we can read scriptures like this and begin to ask ourselves questions like, man, am I really am I really a Christian? Like, these are pretty harsh things. He's saying that to, to, to show us what's on the line. If, if we're saying one thing and we're doing another, that's a problem. But if we have truly repented and believed and we are saved, then be assured that you are saved, my friends. Don't question that. Be assured of that. But it's not a one and done. We're called to continue in a lifestyle of repenting and believing. Yes, we do that initially to enter into a relationship with the Lord. But then it's an ongoing repenting and believing lifestyle. And we can't live that lifestyle if we deny the sin in our lives. Let's look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The world around us is broken, right? I mean, it's a mess. It's a fallen world. It is completely messed up. And we fall into temptation and sin every day. We do. That's the reality. And so we cannot deny that there is sin in our lives. We, we can't afford to try and fool ourselves to do the, the sort of mental gymnastics that's required to minimize or even dismiss the sin in our lives. It's there and it's very real. It's dangerous when we try and attempt to keep sin at a distance or the admitting of sin in our lives. We, we cannot do that. So don't Deceive yourselves. He says, if we do this, we say it, we're deceiving ourselves. So don't deceive yourselves. Don't minimize it. Don't deny it. It's there. And it needs to be dealt with. Our sin needs to be dealt with. And he tells us exactly how to do that in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
So once we're walking in the light, as God has defined it, the sin in our lives becomes very obvious. When we're not walking with the Lord and we're apart from him, we're in darkness, we're, we're, we're living for ourselves, the sin in our lives is not obvious. It's that moment when your eyes are open, you're like, oh wow, <laughs> I'm, I'm in a bad way here and I need the Lord's help. I need his forgiveness. When that happens, this verse tells us what to do. Our response is to confess, that is to say it, exactly what the sin is. And that's a, that's a key part of this. Right? Don't be casual about it. Don't be, you know, broad. Lord, forgive me that I was, you know, just a little bit, um, you know, dabbled in anger. It's like, no, you, you flipped off that dude. You cut off his car. You almost thought about getting out and whooping him. Like, that's different than like, eh, maybe I was a little bit upset. Own it, people. Right? This is a major part of discovering the sin in our lives, is being honest with ourselves. Now, there's no condemnation in this this whole process if you feel condemned that's not of the lord conviction on the other hand is different <laughs> that's when you're like oh man i'm in the light and i can't hide that's another powerful imagery that we have that god is light everything is exposed <laughs> you can't hide from it you can't run from it I worked for a guy one time that he said, if you have a problem with somebody, you've got issues, you need to kick it out into the street and get sunlight all over it. Like, don't hide it. Just put it out there. This is between you and the Lord. I mean, we all know we're not hiding anything. We're not fooling God. We're fooling ourselves and we're, we're robbing God of the opportunity to truly be a full expression of who he is. We're robbing ourselves as well. So what do we do concerning our sins? We confess to the Lord, and if we do that, God makes a promise in return, doesn't he? He's going to do things. He's going to do he's going to forgive us, and he's going to what? He's going to forgive us, and he's going to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Yes and amen to that. This is why I mentioned earlier that we we got to continue in a lifestyle of repenting and believing. It's a regular and ongoing thing. That's the, the idea behind this. It makes me think about how we address the sin in our lives. So I want to touch on something briefly. We're going to continue it next week because this, this kind of goes into that um, passage next week. Um, so here's my concern when it comes to recognizing sin in our lives, confessing, repenting, claiming ignorance of our sin doesn't absolve us of the sin in our lives. Um, neglecting to ask the hard questions and going deep into the darkness of our hearts is not going to hold up when we stand before the Lord and give an account. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, you knew. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. Uh, you knew. And, and denying it is not going to do us any favors. That said, some of us have a repeating pattern of sin in our lives. Can I get our amen? amen. Habits that seem to be regularly rearing their ugly head and we just can't seem to break out of them. It's like, 
gosh, I keep doing this thing. Why do I keep struggling that? So what do we do with that? What do we do with this in our lives? So often we treat the symptoms rather than the root of the problem. Right? If we have an anger problem, then we, we, we put parameters in place that help us from getting angry. Right? We, we remove ourselves from the situation. We count to ten. We take deep breaths. If we struggle with pornography, we put software on our phones and our, our um, computers that help with accountability. We read books about victory in these areas. And these are all good things. And we should be doing these things. But this addresses the symptoms, not the root. There is a root of the problem that we need to expose. And we need to uproot it. And we need to dismantle it and destroy it. That's hard. That is a challenge, my friends. So, do you want to see prolonged change and victory in your lives in areas of sin where you struggle? I know I do. <laughs> Absolutely, I do. So, there's a really great book that I'm going to borrow some some tools from on this topic. And the subject is changing our character, which is essentially what we're talking about here. The character of who we are. It's flawed. To the very core of who we are, it's flawed. And we're going to specifically address the parts of our character that do not line up with the things of God. There's great attributes and things about us that are like very godly. It's like, yes, I see that in this person. I see that in this person. I see this in myself. And we, we celebrate those things. And there's other things that we ought not to celebrate or dismiss and go after and cut off at the root. There's a way to address these parts of our lives. But as I mentioned, it isn't usually fun. It's actually, it's never fun. It's like a root canal. Anybody enjoy root canals? No. But what are they doing? <laughs> they're going in and there. They're taking the root out. They're literally taking every ounce of that out. And it's awful. It's painful. But once they do that, because everything goes as planned, you're never going to have problems with that tooth again, so they say. <laughs> but you get the point, right? It's not fun. It hurts. So in, in a book, in the book that I'm talking about, um, it's called Gospel Eldership Guide by an author named Thune. He says, the deep sins in our character are always connected to idolatry. That is the treasuring of created things rather than the creator. And real character change requires identifying the idols you're prone to serve and destroying and dismantling them through repentance and faith. You can't destroy and dismantle something you don't know is there. You can't put under your foot and your boot and your heel something you're not willing to admit. So step one is kicking it out of the street, getting light all over it and going, okay, there it is. Let's root that out. Now that's all in well and good, right? But practically speaking, what does that mean? And I want to emphasize this. This process is just that. It is a process. It can take years to do this, to really root out things in your life. So if you think tomorrow it's just going to all go away, don't. <laughs> I mean, God can do anything. I'm not limiting that. But generally speaking, <laughs> this can take a long 
period of time, rooting out the deep sin and idols in our lives. But remember this, it's the Lord that does the real work in us, right? He does the changing. We can't do enough good or write things or read enough books to correct it ourselves. We need to position ourselves to be transparent enough to acknowledge it and say, okay, Lord, here it is. I see it. Fix it. Help me. And the word of God and the counsel of people and prayer and fasting and these kinds of things bring long-term healing. So we got to be willing to show up and ask God for help. So in, in the book Church Planter by Darren Patrick, he identifies four basic source idols that he says everything that manifests itself in our lives, generally speaking, comes from one of these four categories The more visible sins and surface idols, he says, are a manifestation of these four core idolatries. And so I wrestled back and forth whether or not I was going to actually go down this path and figure out if we wanted to do this. And and I I feel confident that the Lord would have us to do this. So I'm going to pass out this little thing right here. And and what this is, it's a tool. Um, Yeah, you want to pass out something? You can pass out just... It's a tool. It's this is something that many Christians will never do. The goal is to help us expose things in our hearts and our lives that we can root out, confess, and allow the Lord to actually do something in our hearts. So Lee, can you put that chart on the Who doesn't have one yet? Everybody got one? Oh, Joe. Can you throw in a Joe real quick? Okay. So everybody has one, right? Or you can look on the screen. Down the left side of this chart, you have four words. Comfort, approval, control, and power. These are the four source idols that we're talking about here. So what is it that I seek? Do I seek comfort? I'm just going to give the comfort one as an example because this is one that I struggle with. If I seek comfort, what is the price that I'm willing to pay? And these are just examples. Reduced productivity. That means I'm seeking comfort. I'm seeking maybe even an escape so that... Things might not be as well done in my life because I'm sort of looking for the easy way. But I'm willing to sacrifice some reduced productivity for my own comfort, for my own sake. What is my greatest nightmare? Stress and demands. I don't want that pressure. I don't don't want all of that kind of thing in my life. I'm about being comfortable. I just want to be comfortable. I want privacy. I want a lack of stress. I want freedom. How others might feel because of this is hurt. It's like, why doesn't that person ever want to make time for me? Or why doesn't that person ever do hard things? Talk about difficult things in our friendship. Because I value comfort over other things. I want to feel like I'm good to go in my own bubble. And that can hurt people. I often feel boredom. 
You're not being stretched. You're not being challenged. You're not really growing. You're just you're kind of existing. You're just you're just there. So there's boredom there. Control. This is something that I, I know a lot of people struggle with. They need control over things in their lives. And they're willing, the price they're willing to pay is loneliness and spontaneity. Like if you're in control of everything, you, you can't be spontaneous. It's like, no, no, that's not my plan. Uh, this, is, this is the direction I'm going. I got to do X, Y, and Z. I got to do all of this and stay out of my way. <laughs> this is mine. This is my baby. It's lonely. It, it can be lonely in those situations because you don't let other people in to influence and maybe adjust and change the direction you're going. The greatest nightmare is uncertainty. Let me tell you what, my friends, and a lot of you can attest to this, a life dedicated to following the Lord is often uncertain. Right? It's difficult and it's challenging. So if you struggle with control, man, this is going to rear its head in a lot of other ways. It's going to manifest in different ways. An unwillingness to go somewhere you know that God is calling you to do. You orient your life in a way that it cannot change. You cut off opportunities. Others often feel condemned. Here, let me help you with that. Nope. Get away, that's mine. Whoa, I'm just relaxed. Nope, it's mine. I often feel worry. Just constantly, when things are outside of my control, I'm just, I'm worried, I'm fearful, I'm anxious. You, you see the idea that this, this is a tool. That's all it is. I'm not saying that everything is going to be exposed in this. But if you look at those four main ideas, those four core idols... You might be in, begin to recognize other things in your life that are a manifestation of that. And instead of saying, well, yeah, sometimes I get mad and I yell. Yes, that's sinful, but let's peel the layers back and go, why? What is that? Is it because I'm actually seeking power? I want authority and I get angry when I don't have it? You see, anger's bad, but why? There's, there's a root there. That needs to be exposed. And what he talks about is being cut off, dismantled, burned up, like just eradicated. But again, it takes time. Thinking about digging out an oak tree. right? Some of these sins in our lives feel like oak trees. They've been there a long time. If you ever dug out a tree, you know it takes a lot of time. But the first thing you got to do is put the gloves on and pick up the shovel. <laughs> One scoop at a time. Okay, Lord, I'm ready. What do I need to do? Expose it in me and, and show me how to address this. But it can take a long time to get that. Oh, oh, you want me to now get this saw out and start cutting off limbs to make it easier to take the tree out? Okay. What does that look like, Lord? And maybe some of those things are those safeguards that we put in our lives. Like, yeah. Removing ourselves from a situation or counting to 10 or taking deep breaths. These are ways that can prevent us from acting out in the sin. And those are important. And maybe those are limbs and branches that need to be cut off. But we need to keep digging at the root and exposing it and allowing the light to be all over it to eradicate it out of our lives. Remember what I told you, though. 
this, there should be no condemnation in this. The enemy is going to work overtime to tell you, I told you, you're no good. Look at that sin in your life. How dare you call yourself a Christian when you're doing that? That is of the enemy. That is not from God. Conviction is like, man, Lord, I see this. I know it doesn't line up with you and your word, and I want to change it. I'm compelled to want to change because I love you, Lord, and I want to honor you. That's conviction. So your, your motivation has got to be through the love of Christ and seeking to walk in the light as he has defined it. Remember a few weeks ago, if you were here, I, I, I taught on the idea of God being gentle and lowly and that it's our sinfulness and our brokenness that qualify us to come to him. He says, come to me, all you who labor are heavy laden, who's burdened with these things of life and these struggles. That's who he wants. You don't have to get it all together or pretend you've got it all together. No, go to him in your brokenness, in your sinfulness and brokenness. Run to Jesus. Pull back the curtains of your heart and say, Lord, have your way in me. Expose in me the deep sin and idols. Confess it and experience freedom. All right, I'm going to stop right there because for most of us, that's probably a lot. It is for me. But I'll remind us that God defines right and wrong, and we are called to walk in the light as he has defined it. Now, if you want to spend more time this week sort of just processing this, or, or if you want to even talk about what this means, this chart, these ideas, I'm available. Like, I'm willing to sit down with you to help walk through some of these things. And we're going to pick up Sort of right where we left off next week, because I mentioned he, he goes on to talk about it. He, he says, I'll just give you a preview. In verse in chapter 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. So he's continuing to talk about sin and the avenue we have of repentance through the blood of Jesus. So let's just pause there. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. And then we'll, we'll uh, wrap up this morning. Okay? All right. Father, we... This word is challenging. And I pray, Lord, that... God, you would show us how much you love us. And that you sent your son, Jesus, for us. And that the enemy, Lord God, would be silenced in this process... For those that truly desire to walk in the light and, and, and have these things in our lives exposed, God, silence the lies of the enemy that would bring condemnation, fear and anxiousness and worry and all the things that go along with it, Lord. And I just pray that God, as we make this journey and as we come face to face with some, some hard facts and realities about some of the things in our lives, the characteristics that we hold are ugly. God, remind us that you love us, you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light, and we're on a journey. And that there is grace and mercy that abounds in those moments where we 
we have victory over sin, and then those moments where we just fall flat on our face, God, you are right there to pick us back up and continue us on that path. Because we need it. And we need each other. Would you say if we walk in the light and we experience fellowship with you and with one another, we can't do this by ourselves. We need you and we need others in our lives to help us. I pray that each one here has another follower of Jesus that can help on this path and this journey. And help us to walk in the light as you have defined it. For our good and for your glory. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.